And welcome back to the Scott and Lodge show. He is Scott. Yes, he is. I am. <laughs> and I am Lars, and I can confirm this. And uh, we're kicking it right back off with yeah. choice number, number seven of mine. Lucky for some, who knows? <laughs> yeah, two dicks talking bollocks. Uh, it, they're top ten films ever made. And I think um, we've, well, we've, we've covered ten, nine and eight respectively in our top tens. And I think this is how I can see this kind of going from here. Uh, yeah. Do, do um, contend if you feel necessary to do so i think we should do seven and six each which is going to be uh -huh. basically four films and then maybe we'll do the same again for five and four and then we'll do our top three in a, in a fourth final part of the quadrilogy in a tour de force yeah i think that i think it might work best that way so this one and the next one yeah. might be a little bit shorter than normal but then the, the top three will probably be a little bit longer than normal uh, that's how i'm seeing it planning out um, okay i like it i i, I like yet more planning on, on just <laughs> because i looked ahead Lars, and my number five and number four might well be the two i talked the longest about i think wow so, so that's why i think if we both do our five and four in their own episode it might work out best and and, um, and then the top three surely that's that's just a, a dynamite way to end things isn't it in this film series oh certainly so without further ado please do Lars, uh take us into your number seven Okay, now number seven is Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Okay. I thought this might appear. Now, okay. um, it's 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 the double Quentin uh, heading at you, <laughs> but this is this is why I said sort of almost like classic Quentin because this is, is more from his his uh, his latter day offerings. Uh, I got a lot of time for uh, Django Unchained, and I have watched. Uh, oh, what's the What's the damn new one called? The one where they're in Hollywood. Oh, it's, it's just Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, isn't it? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, there we go. There we go. But and I, then what was that... the, 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 the Hateful Eight as well? I haven't seen that either. Oh, yeah, Hateful Eight. I, 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 I do like Hateful Eight. Not a perfect film, but yeah, here we go. Anyway, once again, we're talking about different films. The one we're here to talk about. I know. Is it... Am I right in thinking this, this is both our favourite Tarantino film? Yeah, yeah, by the sounds yeah. of it, yeah. Awesome. That's, that's a cool um, thing to have in common. I, I have to almost sort of guiltily admit something now, which is just before we, you know, to peel the curtain back slightly, uh, when we when we started what we started talking today before we started recording, Scott said to me, uh, think about what's your favorite scene in all of cinema. And I can't I can't talk about Inglorious Bastards without talking about my favorite scene in, in all of cinema. And oh, it's okay. the it's the starting scene to Inglorious Bastards. Uh, now, the interrogation with the floorboards. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, what a scene. What a scene. I, I, I was going to say, I, we, 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 I mean, obviously, um, we, 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 you know, I'm going to try and, and be careful of spoilers as, as we have done, but at the same time, as it's A, the opening scene that sort of almost sets the, the tone uh, for the rest of the film, I don't think I'm giving much away. But yeah, basically, we're, we're talking about a, a French man uh, he's outside chopping wood. His three daughters are, are doing chores and a Nazi car sort of comes over the horizon. Uh, a general gets out. Uh, we, this is the first time I'd ever been aware of Christoph Waltz. And uh, I love that man. My mm, God. Yeah. Uh, but you you hate Christoph Waltz as Hans Lander, yeah. as a, a smirking, smiling snake in the grass that, you know, will, will use any sort of trick 
any sort of advantage to his disposal to get where he needs to go, whether it's for, for Hitler's ends or his own. Uh, anyway, he approaches this farmhouse. He's been appointed with tracking down, you know, Jews in, in, uh, in, in France, in wartime France. And uh, he's heard that uh, this man is, is, is harboring some Jews. Now, it turns up and this only seemingly... I just want to confirm that was Jews. Yes, yes. Because uh, I heard juice, but then, of course, I, <laughs> I, of course, know that it's to do with Jews. But in case anyone's yes. thinking, harboring some juice, okay, okay. It's not juice, it's juice. Yeah, it's not, it's not a crime to harbour juice, no. I, I don't believe so. I don't think it's ever like, been a crime to harbour juice. No. <laughs> I'm glad we've got that established. Uh, and, unless you're an enemy of Tropicana, I guess. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> So, so basically, he, he approaches and uh, he comes in with his soldiers, sort of has a quick look around, says, everything seems to be OK. I'd just like to have a, a quick sit down and a chat, perhaps over a glass of milk, because he's, he's a dairy farmer. Says, yeah, OK, sure. So he gets one of his daughters to, to pour him a, a glass of milk and they sit down. He sends his soldiers outside and it really affably starts going about its business. And again, with, with, without trying to word for word go over the scene and, and again, spoil it, the, the genius of, of this scene and, and, and in many ways this film is the, the sort of the peeling back of, of the way things seem. It seems like he's safe. It seems like all should be well. He's, you know, sort of talking to him and, oh, you know, I, I'm just going to fill in this book, you know, just for my records, just so we can cross you off and we don't have to bother you again. And slowly but surely starts to, to twig that not only is he harboring Jews, but they are actually underneath the floorboards in which they sit. And yes. uh, it, it, it basically, you know, uh, boils down to he asks if, um, the gentleman can speak English as he has heard that he can speak English and he switches to English because he knows that the Jews underneath are most likely do not speak English sure. and all of a sudden uh, to use a very very English phrase he turns on a sixpence and be becomes not necessarily threatening but very sort of cold and you know ruthless and and sort of goes right okay once once he knows that they can't hear what he's you know can't understand what he's saying very much sort of right the jews are under the floorboards aren't they you know i'm going to call my men into in back in uh we're going to pretend that they your three daughters coming back in and uh once i say goodbye they're going to open fire and you know because i've done what i need to do we are then going to 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 leave you and, you know, it, it, it's then that uh, Shoshana, one of the, I would probably say the, the lead character, she manages to make her escape as the, the, the others of her family are, are ruthlessly slaughtered by these uh, SS officers. Uh, she runs off into the, the French countryside, uh, running for her life yeah. as, as Hans Lander sort of bids her a, a cheery sort of, you know, au revoir, Shoshana! And it's really, it, it's, his performance in that scene is, a, is a, a force of nature. This is really interesting, Lars, because that's, I think you said, your favourite scene that you can think of in a film of all time. Yes. And it shares a lot of similarities with mine, which I won't be revealing until the, like, the very end of the top ten, because actually it doesn't feature in any of my top ten. It features Ooh, in a you, film. You little tease. It features in a film I mentioned a while ago, uh, to be honest. Ah. But... It's that it's that idea of someone slowly turning on a sixpence and and mm. uh, the tension involved in that and that you think maybe you have an understanding of something and then it changes in a way that you weren't prepared for and 
you feel it it's so visceral and it's what an introduction to christoph Waltz's character and just his acting you know oh yes because the only the only other film i can think of him off the top of my head is downsizing where he plays a very different character in that he's um he's he's the the other bounty hunter in uh django and chain oh yes of course he's in django yeah and uh, what what else is he in? Anyway, we're we're not doing a Christoph Waltz uh, career retrospective. But yeah, yes, we're no. not. But I remember Mike Myers being in this film as a general, quite brilliantly. Oh, yeah, it, almost, yeah, it, no. it almost takes you a few minutes to clock it's Mike Myers. Mm. But yeah, it, it, the tension permeates throughout this film, it, particularly in the scene we've talked about. Also later on in a bar, sort of with a game of cards that's going. Oh on. yes, yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, yeah, it's it's my favourite Tarantino film. I'm I'm glad to hear it's yours too. Mm. One thing we seem to have in common in the film world, isn't it? Sure. And I, I'm I'm not even a a big sort of war film guy. So it's not necessarily even that element that I'm particularly into. I I'm always interested in characters that I can identify with, with motivations that I can understand and support. And definitely, stopping the Nazis is 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 got to be one of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's almost a little bit like Pulp Fiction in the way that there there is also Brad Pitt's Aldo Rain leading the um, the bastards, the, the the titular bastards, uh, who are a group of I think Jewish uh, Jewish American soldiers who are sent to essentially guerrilla warfare against the Nazis in in occupied France, and they take pride in their sort of Apache tactics and scalping their victims and you know hits and runs and disrupting supply lines and 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 you know just anything they can do to essentially kill nazis i mean there's that there's that brilliant yeah. bit where where brad pitt's character aldo rain is is like you know by signing up to this company you personally owe me a debt of 100 scalps and i want my scalps <laughs> um, yeah there's, and just, the- there's, there's so many charming little points. Uh, I mean, even right down to uh, the, the the fashion of the film is so very authentic. There's there's another uh, scene with Hans Lander and Shoshana where they're sort of having uh, almost afternoon tea, and he comes in uh, sort of unexpectedly and uh, sort of makes himself a part of proceedings. And this, this, I can never think of another way where someone has offered someone cream and it seemed so sinister. Uh, but, but I can, <laughs> yeah. assure, I can yeah. assure you, it is. It brings brings us out to such a, a, a monumental conclusion. And you know, again, there's another part towards the end where uh, Brad Pitt's character sort of says, "I think this might be my masterpiece." And I, I, I is this out in the woods? Yes. Yes. I I think that that is Tarantino speaking to the audience, and and I agree. I agree absolutely. I, do you know what I, I'm I'm really interested. I mean, if you haven't already noticed, guys, just from the fact we're even doing these, I I do love trying to count down things and trying to think. Well, what is the you know what is my my favourites in order and things like. That. I do like in that sense indexing things, and mm. and then so that kind of then turns to. Well, I wonder how Tarantino would rank his movies. Has he ever been asked the question? Would he want to deal with a question like that? I get the feeling mm. some people would love to reflect. And you, you do hear this, you know, where people will talk about what their favourite things were, favourite acting roles or favourite films. I'd love to know what Tarantino thought of this in comparison to the rest of his repertoire, because I, we clearly seem to agree it was the, the pinnacle so far, at least, of his, yes. his achievements. And I'd love to know what he thought about it and where it ranks. I, th- I think this is quite possibly the the, the only film that is, is a direct crossover. Certainly so far, 
And I think that that tells you something that's two people with so various different sort of degrees of appreciation for lots of different things to come together and both say, yeah, that this is this is something special, this film. It really is. Yeah. And I don't hear anyone else really celebrate it like we do in his career so much, you know, Um, Mm. obviously Pulp Fiction, of course, I can understand why that's lauded time and time again and uh, Reservoir Dogs and, and even Django, you know. But uh, yeah, for me, yeah, absolutely. And Boris Glasses is not talked about enough. I'm glad you and I have just talked about it and given mm. it the attention it deserves. And for anyone listening who hasn't seen it, who likes Tarantino movies, or indeed, if, even if you're not particularly a fan of Tarantino movies, this, of course, has elements of um, his makeup as a director. Of course it does. But um, mm. it's it's a magnificent film in its own right, regardless of who directed it. And and even if you're not into the idea of war, I presume not many people are into the idea of Nazis, really. But I would say watch yeah. it because it's it's stunning, absolutely stunning. Mm. And I'll say yeah. it again, ladies and gentlemen, criminally underrated. And I think there's a drinking game coming out of those two words, isn't there? <laughs> but there's there's some really great acting performances. Uh, and sometimes not even in the in the main characters. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, because I almost forgot that Brad Pitt was in it. You know, mm. such such as the just the the ensemble of like just the brilliance in this film. I mean, as you know, we we could do this with almost every film on this list, but I mean, Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Michael Fassbender, Eli Roth, Diane yeah. Kruger, uh, Daniel Bruhl, who uh, is someone I've certainly become more aware of since this film. And Melanie Laurent, who uh, who plays <clears throat> Shoshana, the, the the main character, the, the Jew who escapes the extermination attempt at the start, a, a really interesting sort of diverse bunch of characters, and um, fascinating, fascinating film. I'm, I'm really glad you said that. I was hoping you would. I thought you would, to be honest. We mm. discussed this film before, um, probably not to this extent, really, but we have discussed this film before, and it will go on the list for us, even though we've both seen it. Yeah, do it. All right, shall I, shall I bring us into my number seven? Please do. Okay, now, this film was uh, a 2000 film, so turn of the century, mm. millennium. And th- this film blew my mind, perhaps more so than any other film. Wow. It's, it's the only film that I have immediately re-watched again, and I mean immediately. I finished my first viewing, and I... I press play immediately again. I think Shutter Island, I might have done that with. And for those who've seen Shutter Island, you'll know why, because there's a revelation that changes everything. And it's it's fascinating to see how it plays out once you know what that is. Yeah, great film. And even The Village, again, uh, for those who are already beginning the drinking game that I was talking about, um, get get one ready, because The Village (laughs) is also criminally underrated. And that has a twist revelation that makes you want to watch the whole thing again as well. But no, we're not talking about those ones, but we are talking about Christopher Nolan, who came up before, of course. So Batman, Inception, Interstellar is another one of his, Tenet. These are all Mm -hmm. mind-bending psychological thrillers. But Lars, I'm about to talk about my favourite of all of them. And again, I'd love to know where he ranks this in his list. I really would. Oh, yeah. Memento. Mm. Right. What a film we're talking about here, guys. So... Uh, Leonard Shelby is played by Guy Pearce and he's he's injured trying to protect his wife from an attack at their home and she she actually dies and he suffers brain damage and subsequent 
short-term memory loss. Think of it as like an extreme amnesia. He can remember everything up until the attack, but as a result of these injuries, he's incapable of forming any new memories. And this film is about him sort of trying to piece stuff together, trying to hunt down the killer. And of course, he has to be incredibly methodical about doing so because of his newfound condition. So a, a system of notes scribbled on the back of Polaroids. He tattoos himself. Um, presumably, well, it's a random thing to have learned without need to in his early life, but we'll, we'll let that go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say he already knew how to tattoo himself. And so it's it's really, it's, it's a, a, a psychological, I guess, detective thriller. And he, he has two companions along the way, both of which uh, were in The Matrix, actually. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, the, the lady played Trinity. Oh, yeah. And um, I can't remember the name of the chap. I should have looked this up. I apologise. But, <laughs> but you'll recognise him. He was one of the crew in The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's also in The Sopranos, isn't he? And, I, and it's going to really bug me that I don't know who he is. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, guys. Let me, let me look this up quickly. It's Joe something. Is it Joe Pantalone or Pantalini or something? Yeah, a pa- Pantagliano or something. I yeah, think. that's... Uh, here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go. Because he's jo- Ralph. Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, yeah, he's Ralph in... Um, in uh, Oh, my God. I just said it, The Sopranos, thank you. <laughs> uh, and in this, he plays a guy called Teddy. And, yes, Carrie Ann Moss is the lady who plays... Yes. Um, Trinity, who plays Natalie in this. So... Natalie and Teddy, right? They they are in this film Leonard's uh, companions, but of course they may or may not be on his side and may or may not have an ulterior motive and you don't quite know. Now, this is what makes this film uh, the, the piece of work that I think it is. And uh, I, I'll try and find the best way to explain in this. It's told backwards. So it's in reverse chronological order and it, it starts with the final scene which obviously runs forward during the scene you know we're not watching people walk backwards going <laughs> but, but of course it starts with the final scene and then it jumps back to the preceding scene and you're not told this is happening you have to work it out for yourself and so for example the, the first scene kind of invo- uh, involves joe um i've already forgotten how to pronounce his name is it pantoliano yeah we'll go with that <laughs> he, he walks into a hotel lobby and goes lenny Right. Mm. And you're not quite sure why. And then that scene ends and then it jumps to the preceding scene. But you're not quite sure that it's done that until it reaches the end of that scene. And you see the same thing happen again. He opens the door and goes, Lenny. And then you kind of realise, oh, like that's what this is doing. Mm. And, And so and the reason it's so clever and I can feel how much my voice has gone up, just trying to <laughs> convey this, right? The reason it's so clever is, of course, what it does is it throws you immediately into Leonard's world of confusion about what's happening and what's just happened. So it puts you in the same mindset of, of this guy who can't, can't make sense of, of what's happening, what's, what's just happened. You know, it, it's, it's such a smart way to bring you into his world. And so, of course, this continues throughout the film and you, you see these little moments twice, you know, at the start and end of the scene. And to make it even more interesting, because this is the kind of guy Nolan is, isn't it? Um, he sort of intersperses <laughs> these with a series of scenes that actually run in normal chronological order, but these ones are in black and white. And they 
as, as those ones run forwards and the, the scenes in colour run backwards, they simultaneously reveal more and more about Leonard and the investigation that's going on. Mm. And by the time we reach the end, well, slash beginning of the film, we, we finally kind of have all the information we need to piece things together. But it's not necessarily easy to do so. It's quite an ambiguous, ambiguous? Ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> ambiguity in this film. And it, what I say is it really doesn't insult your intelligence. It makes you think all the way through. It completely blows your mind, like I said at the start. And actually, it's quite fitting, but something I said at the start, I'm sort of saying at the end. Um, it really is one of the smartest pieces of writing I've ever seen. And when you consider the magnitude and status of the rest of Christopher Nolan's catalogue, this for me is just totally on another level. I, I love uh, Inception. I think it's great. I, I really respected The Dark Knight. I can't remember if he did Batman Begins, but I, I think he's done others in the Batman series. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Tenet yet, but oh no, I mean, for me, Memento is, and again, I always thought Memento was sort of top five material. Hmm. Until I came to seriously think about it and compile it. And here it is at number seven, which blows my mind again. You know, this, sure. film, this film just continues to, to blow my mind. The more I even try and recollect the film, uh, the more it kind of messes with me and my head. Not in a bad way. Um, it's, it's just it's very deliberately calculated to mess with you. And like I say, you know, if you, it would be hard to even begin to comprehend what it would be like for someone to go through life. Mm. A, dealing with the, the death of his spouse in such a horrific manner, and then B, having to contend with this, this condition that you, you almost can't even realise that you have because of your inability to, to make memories off the back of that incident. So it's handled in such a way that, that is absolutely fascinating. I, I really can't see how it could have been done better. Hmm. and it, this is very much a cat and mouse type of thing Lars in two directions like I say you've got Carrie Ann Moss's character and Joe Pantoliano's character and you're never quite sure what ulterior motives are and of course you do find out but then you're not even sure if you do think you found out when you, when something happens well and of course when, you, when you're dealing with someone with memory loss as well you have to acknowledge that the, the narrator in, in the film might be you know an unreliable one he can't make new memories and uh, that's the genius of it the disorienting tactics that they employ it doesn't obviously give you amnesia but they you know it really puts you in the the, the shoes of the protagonist and that's sort of uh, who can you trust what can you trust to to be paranoid to the extent where you've extensively tattooed yourself with exactly what you know to be true so that you know you you can sort of try and stay on top of it it's um it's really powerful yeah and all he really knows is that he's looking for a guy called john g or a james mm. g or a jimmy g and that's tattooed and, and yeah i don't really want to go into it anymore because i mean i could give away things in this and yeah you'd, you'd forget about it the moment you started watching it because it just it just it's like a it's it's almost blunt trauma to the to the brain um and it shifts you into this other other world when you're watching this or at least it certainly was for me like i say yeah, this this is the film maybe of, of everything here. there's one other i can think of well no in fact there's probably two in fact no there's probably about six <laughs> because we're on number seven here. <laughs> i think all all the upcoming six have blown my mind in different ways but i really do think that memento and i can't believe it's number seven uh, sort of blew my mind the most on that first viewing. I didn't have no uh, idea that it was going to be like that at all. 
Mm. I can't remember what made me buy it. I think maybe it was just off the strength of the blurb on the back of the DVD as part of an HMV offer or something, you know? Sure. And I got it home and I'll never forget the experience I had watching it. And like I say, such was that experience that I watched it again straight away. And for some reason, I don't seem to have it currently in my collection. I must have lost it or it got damaged or something. But all the more reason for me to buy it in, in UHD or 4K, you know? And... Mm. Um, and we should watch it together, Luz, because that brings me to my next question, which is, have you seen Memento? Oh, yes. No, I've, de- I've definitely seen Memento. It, okay. it, it, it's certainly one that was on the fringes. But at the same time, in not trying to flood my uh, responses, because really, I could quite easily have done a top 10 of uh, favourite comic book films. But there was, you know, quite a, f- a few sort of similar films. And I didn't want, you know, everything to be all sort of cat and mouse and unfortunately for memento for me personally it's, it's just got edged out but it, it, it is for me an incredible piece of filmmaking really i mean to 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 keep on top of right in this scene we're doing it from this perspective and, and this scene you know he knows this and in this scene he doesn't and all that sort of thing to, to the actual concept of filming it the way that they did to sort of mark it out as much as it it is marked out um it's it's such a genius really I can't believe, Lars, that the, the fan of Cat and Mouse films that he is has omitted this. I mean, what's better than this, man? Tom and Jerry, I suppose. There you go. But, uh, wow. I, do you know what? I quite liked Mousetrap. Was that, that was with yeah. Lee Evans, right? Yeah. That has one of the funniest scenes of all time. Let's start with the, with the coffin. The coffin that goes down the, the staircase. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so right, that, that is Memento. Um, I've just I, I get the feeling there's probably quite a few people that haven't seen this film, and it's it's for me as a psychological thriller. There there are a few things better, and, and of course I will get to tell you what they are. Definitively, well, I, of course. Ironically, I think it's one of those films that so many people have watched and then forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's beautiful twisted irony there. But Amnesia, baby. I can't understand how. Maybe because in some ways it's like tripping really you know you're going through this incredible thing with your brain and trying to work out uh, maybe just you were unable to kind of formulate memories of those things while it was happening and then you get to the end of the film and it's like what what have I just watched you know yeah, by the, yeah. and by the next day you're like well I remember it was to do with memory but mm. uh, yeah, it's not yeah. a handholdy film is it but um I, I you know I, I like almost anything that's that's willing to to sort of change test the boundaries a little bit yeah, this so, is very um, challenging, this film. Very yes. challenging. More so than Inception. If you think Inception was confusing, um, mm. then you ain't seen nothing, baby. No, this I would is, agree with that, yeah. Yeah, this, this is... But it's not his magnum opus for that reason. It, it genuinely is, I think, the best thing he's ever done. I don't know if he actually wrote it, you know, if he came up with the idea. I thought, I'd assume he did, but I should have looked into mm. this. But if he did, then, then this is the thing that makes Christopher Nolan a genius for me. And Lars, do you mind if I quickly pause it? I'm tying for the toilet and then we'll get to your number six. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Cheers. Bye. Lars, your number six, please. Coming in at number six is a, a, a treasured film of my childhood and a film that I, I can still happily watch today and get a lot from it, and that is Jurassic Park. Now I was I was so iconic is the music that I was going to almost attempt to do a, a, a sort of self trumpeting version of it, <laughs> and then I and then I thought I don't want to get sued, so <laughs> let's not go there. But yes, Jurassic Park. I mean, 
as a kid who went through the dinosaur phase, which I, I think almost all young boys do. Yeah, it, I think it was, that, that one really is something that everyone goes through. Yeah, and many never grow out way. of. And that, that element of, um, you know, there were these fantastical creatures that, that sort of owned the world, really, uh, that, you know, were about thousands of years before we were ever around. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's so fascinating. And that, that, that element of fantasy come real, uh, really, you know, it, it, it's, it struck a, a nerve with me and, and you know, it, it never really finished. I mean, I'm still interested in the franchise. Is it quite what Jurassic Park originally was? No. But, you know, can I still enjoy it? Yeah, of course. So, but yes, Jurassic Park itself, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it gets to a point now where we're really nailing down films that are, are just sort of, oh my God, I love this film. I, I just yeah. want to, you know, book a hotel room and, and get some illegal materials and just go to town. Uh <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just amazing. I'm not sure the, I do know the, what you mean. I don't my break my mind ran off in a I, different direction, probably with I, that. I, I think you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> oh, well, uh, Winston's back. Yeah, yeah. Imagine exactly, if Ray yeah. Winston had been in Jurassic Park. That that would be great. But what if if he was like Dennis Nedry, the, the fat guy who gets killed by the, the spitting dinosaur? Yeah. So no, I, my, no, uh, uh, you didn't say the magic words, son. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of my way. Nah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and then that the um, the the oh, no, sorry, that no, gone. No, my, my mind's just ran off with Ray Winston now. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right, okay. Into, into, deep into Elon Ubla, and I'm not going to yes. do that. So please continue. <laughs> God. So yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think I was going <laughs> to say that the opening half an hour, but then the the more I think of it, that the the opening probably hour of this film is 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 almost sort of perfect viewing. The, the the you know the, the people who are assembled the, the team the the archaeolo- the archaeologists and uh, the the kids his own grandchildren the, the the guy John Hammond who's who's put it all together and also we're talking about Jeff Goldblum once again as uh, as Ian Malcolm and uh, he's yes. he's the one who, who talks about you know chaos and and you know life finding a way well chaos uh, chaos you know, theory is like a Jurassic we we're talking about subsequent films Jurassic World of course. And, and mm. do you remember, Loz, we went, I think we did go to see this at the cinema. Actually, this is one of the ones we went to see. Um, and we discussed how many nods it had to the original. But one of the, oh, the yeah. more, one of the more subtle ones and one of the cleverer ones was actually to do with Jeff Goldblum talking about chaos theory. And in the original, of course, he's seemingly sort of flirting with Laura Dern and he's got her hand and he drops the bit of water and he's talking about mm. what he's talking about chaos theory explains chaos theory and then in jurassic world there's a scene where there's there's a guy with a gun trying to track down the indominus rex and a drop of blood falls on his hand and then yeah. a sec- and then a second drop of blood falls and rolls in another direction and that was one of the more subtle nods to the original film which i really yes. enjoyed it is crammed full jurassic world of, of nods to jurassic park it's got a great deal of love for it. And who hasn't got a great deal of love for this film? I do. It, I love this film mm. so much. And I want to listen to you talk about it more. Well, again, it's, you know, it's, it's really that, you know, an, an all-star cast. I think the, the graphics of the time stand up shockingly well for a film that came out in 1993. Um, I think the graphics or, or the CGI are better than the subsequent Jurassic World movies. Yeah, quite possibly. This was the first film, famously, to use CGI. Mm. And um, I'd love to watch this back on UHD. I, I think I did look into, like, 
<clears throat> the complete series on 4K Ultra DVD or whatever. And I don't think you can actually get it right now. Mm. But I'd love to watch this back because that'll really hold that stuff up to account, as it were. Because my interpretation of seeing Jurassic Park in sort of Blu-ray DVD quality and then seeing the new films at the cinema mm. is that Jurassic Park CGI was better. <laughs> <coughs> and a lot of people have commented on this. The, the the when Jurassic World and who wasn't obsessed and hooked on the Jurassic World trailer, you know, everyone was on ten to hooks for that. And then when it came out and the, the Mosasaur, people just thought something's wrong with this. It mm. it doesn't it doesn't look it doesn't look as good as the originals did. And I still think that's the case. And I love the subsequent. I, I love all of the films in the franchise. I think Jurassic Park three was um, if have you got your shot glass at the ready? Criminally underrated. I really do, and I think um, and my uh, my my favourite since the original Lars is actually the most recent one, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I think really, yes, really. Like I, I no one else seems to agree with me how good that was. Very cheesy, very. I I, I, I didn't ha- I hadn't heard good things. And I didn't I didn't dislike it as much as I thought I might, but um, yeah, sorry. No, I I, uh, I stand by my my feelings about Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. I think it's great. It's it's very irritating at times, and unfortunately, it was directed in such a way that does follow these tropes of modern film and and the cheesiness. So you you have to leave that at the door um, and just enjoy what I think played out very darkly, and and it was very much a real depiction of how we would go as a as a race or you know, with this technology um, dispensable to us. And Rafe Spall plays such a good villain in that film. And I think I think it was weirdly, in some ways, the, the most real since the original. I really do. And that's why I loved it so much. But, uh, but get back on course. Sorry, Lars. We're talking about Jurassic <laughs> Park. We're talking about another 90s film here, of course. So, of course, I love it. And um, oh, yeah, of course. What more can I say right now? I mean, I, I, I think it's really intriguing. I mean, the, the one of the prevailing sort of... Uh, things that I, I i took away from this that when i think about jurassic park it's the first time where i went to the cinema and it felt like my imagination had had come alive uh you know before then i'd seen films and been sort of interested and and that but i i have that undying feeling of sort of oh my god you know th- this if i could have dreamt this up then i would have sort of thing you know it, it was yeah. it was such a, a, a powerful realization. I think it's also really interesting to note, as much as they proceeded on with the CGI, that they also insisted on doing 50-50 CGI with with uh, practical effects. Yes. And I, I think that's um, illustrated no more and uh, no better than the the scene where you know he's. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh my god jeff goldblum's character is, is trying to flirt with uh, laura dern's character and uh, you know talking about chaos theory and all that and uh, oh my god what's his character's name sam neill uh, alan, he, grant. alan grant that's it thank you um he goes running off uh, and he notices the i think it's a triceratops that's been poisoned oh and, yeah yeah and he goes and he sort of rests on the chest of this this triceratops as it breathes in and out. And that sort of, you know, he's seen the dinosaurs already and they've both had that sort of wide-eyed sort of, oh, my God, what what is this? But that scene in particular, his, his face is sort of, this is actually a dinosaur. 
that I, I can touch and I, I, I can interact with, you know, this literally my life's work, my, my dream come true. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, exactly. And that is a physical set piece, you know, um, that's happening. And, and then to sort of go back to what you said, even slightly earlier in the film with, again, with Dr. Grant, and it's when he first lays eyes on one of these dinosaurs and it's the scene in the mm, Jeep, yeah. <coughs> excuse me, where he turns Laura Dern's head because they're brachiosaurs. Yeah. And if anyone wants that scene beautifully ruined, just Google Jurassic Park Melodica if you haven't already. It's <laughs> it's wonderful. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It really is in my top five funniest things on YouTube, that scene. And you could watch that and it wouldn't ruin it. But uh, um, I love how she has to claw the sunglasses out of her eyes because she can't believe what she's seeing, you know. Yeah, and of course that was CGI. And maybe that was even the first bit of proper CGI in the film. I don't know whether the scene, of course, with the brachiosaurs or brontosaurs. I'm not quite sure. I think actually that, that both names apply, don't they, for that species? I'm not yes, sure. yeah. Walking across the, the, the sort of lake or the reservoir type thing. And it just there are so many iconic scenes in this film. And I sort of remember going to the cinema to see this for the first time because it would have been 93. I, I think I'd have been about mm. six, six or seven, I guess. And I do, I do kind of remember, I think it was maybe even for my birthday, you know, um, like a sort of birthday party type thing that it would be at that age where we all went somewhere for pizza, you know, and had cake. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. And then we went to the cinema and we all sat in a, in a row and, and just watched this unfold, the likes of which we'd never seen before. Mm. I think it was the first film. I don't know. I mean, what I was not even sure what rating it was. I think just PG, wasn't it? But I think perhaps being at the age that I was, maybe this was the first film that sort of ventured into uh, some degree of violence, I guess, you know, mm. about, about age. It's kind of the first film that I remember that, that really kind of seemed like an adult film. And goodness knows how many times I've watched this film down the years. Well, you know, it, it, it is, as, as we're trying to avoid sort of spoiling it for, for someone, I mean, again, it, it's, I would say, almost a, a family-friendly film in terms of, I think there's a little bit in there for everyone. I, I don't think that the, the violence in it is, is overly graphic. Well, it's, 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 it's not if you watch it on TV at Christmas, and please don't anyone ever watch Jurassic Park at Christmas on TV. If you, if you see the words ITV and Jurassic Park together, avoid it like the plague because they'll they'll cut out so much. Mm. Uh, their, their excuse for cutting it out, of course, well, it's, we're putting it on at 3pm, think of the children. No, no. Um, <laughs> this was a PG film. This was always deemed suitable for children. This was released in the cinema. You were allowed to go and see it as a child all the way through. Don't give us that bollocks, please. <laughs> This has been butchered to accommodate more fragrance adverts over Christmas. Um, yes. And so, yeah, please don't watch this film over Christmas. Watch it with the additional seven or eight minutes worth. You know, that was everyone's intention with the film, which Indeed, is still family friendly. It, it's it's almost a, the perfect blockbuster, wouldn't you say? It's got, you know, wonder and adventure and, and, and threat and suspense and, and, you know, thrills and spills, action set pieces. And, and, and cool special effects. I mean, what, what more do you want? I know. So Jurassic Park, yeah, I'm glad to see that in there, Lars. And that was, what was that? Your number six? Num number six. Number six, wow, okay. Right, Lars, my number six is also a film that was... A <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's also Jurassic Park. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not Jurassic Park. Uh, but it's also a film that was like treasured from my childhood. 
Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. 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 Right, stop rubbing your knees, get on with it. For the sake, yeah, I'm turning into Dick Reeves <laughs> slash Hannibal Lecter. This is a film which I've actually hinted at several times over previous episodes. I laid down some proverbial M&Ms to, to reference another classic film, which we talked not, about not earlier. Not breadcrumbs, no, M&Ms. No, like I, I, was, I was thinking of E.T., you see. <laughs> no, this, this isn't E.T., but this is a film that, that when I've I... I've never watched E.T. in four, you know. Good God, man. We need to, yeah, my respect for you, man, is, is, is diminishing <laughs> like at a spectacular rate with some of the films that's emerged you've never seen. Are we going to get to the end of this top 10? Because if I find out you haven't watched this, Luz, then tr- trouble's brewing. All right, okay. All right, well, we'll see. Roll the dice. So, um, this is a film that when I was a lad, right, I, I grew up watching virtually every single day. And wow. so, talking about my parents, you know, hating, uh, probably hating me mentioning a film like Fear and Loathing. Hmm. they probably already know what I'm talking about here and they're probably having flashbacks as we speak if they're listening um, <laughs> now, this is a film that I can't explain why I loved so much at the time because I would have probably been maybe like four I don't know when I first saw it it just resonated and I guess a lot of my love for this is attached to the power of the nostalgia of this but I haven't, exp- I haven't actually said what the film is yet and I will do in due course <laughs> but I think some people will know what it is already if I say Disney right we're talking Dumbo, let's just say it. This, for me, this came out in 1941. Wow. Yeah, I mean... The animated version came out in 1941? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of Owen Wilson, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. Have you seen the... the um... Oh, no, let's not go into that right now. Yeah, just just that, Google, Google, Google Owen Wilson Tortoise or Turtle, one of the two. Um, go off and do that in your own time. I'm not going to talk about it now. <laughs> right. A bit of homework. So, but yeah, homework. Yeah, report back with your findings next next week. <laughs> right, Lars, I love Dumbo so much. Uh, if I haven't already made that abundantly clear, mm. and I think a lot of it is attached to the power of the nostalgia of watching it when I did, because if I watch it back now, which of course I have done, I've seen it recently. There are certain pieces of music and little moments and transitions that bring something back. They stir up this like amazing feeling of comfort. And objectively, objectively, do I think this is the best Disney film? Possibly. I, I think I talked at length about The Lion King, uh, the original, mm. and Fantasia. And I think they're definitely up there with this on the podium. I think these are, the, the for me, the definitive three. But subjectively, Dumbo is my favourite Disney film and always will be. And um, you know, we're talking about the original Dumbo here. I will talk a bit about the remake, as I did with uh, The Lion King. Now, unlike, uh, well, because this came out when it did, and I'll say it again, 1941. I mean, how long ago was that? 80 years? Yeah, I think 80 years, exactly. Mm. Um, so it's not too dialogue heavy, this film. It, it's much more to do with the power of imagery. In fact, this is the shortest Disney film ever. It clocks in at about an hour and four minutes. And um, I, I did rewatch the original about a year ago. And, and regardless of how I felt about it back then, which I've talked about, on recent viewing again it's it's stunning and it's heart-wrenching in a way that i think only disney are capable of i mean people often talk of a scene in bambi which is very well known Mm. or maybe like something in watership down which i know has nothing to do with disney but 
there's a scene in Dumbo which is, involves his mother in jail and she like cradles him through the bars in the window. And I mean, if that doesn't bring a tear to your eye when you're watching it as a whole, I don't know what will. People talk about like the green, like the Green Mile or Shawshank Redemption, or something. But I always think I always think of this scene. To be honest, in film anyway, there's a couple of TV episodes in particular that just make me cry every time. But I'll get to them in due course. Again, <laughs> not for this episode, Lars. So, and also, it, it has kind of the type of sentiment which is kind of prominent in society at the moment, which is like celebrating individuality and beauty. But I think rather than beauty, this film asks kind of what does ugly really mean? And yeah, society, thankfully, nowadays is, is sort of moving towards the notion that difference is not a bad thing. But uh, for many years, marketing has kind of told us otherwise. And I think it's had an effect down the years. But it, it, with this film, in, in this case, it's Dumbo has a strikingly large set of ears and he's kind of outcast and exiled and ridiculed. And I suppose, uh, curiously, this like sort of exists within the elephant kingdom because I don't know how much you know about elephant slugs, but you've got Asian elephants who do have the smaller ears, but then the African ones do have much larger ears, which I guess have evolved yes. to keep them cool, you know. So it, it weirdly touches on that in this too, I assume, intentionally. But uh, I, well, I suppose I should talk about the remake as well. I mean, the, so, well, it's not really a remake. It's more a reprisal because... I was interested as soon as I heard it, A, because, of course, of how much I love the original, but B, because Tim Burton was doing it. And I've got to say, it's actually pretty good. It goes in a distinctly different direction. And so, like really? I say, yeah, so like I say, it's more a reprisal than a remake. It, it takes it in a, in a very different direction in the second half. But it's enjoyable. And, and even for someone like me who loves the original as much as I do, it didn't ruin it at all. Worth watching, but definitely check out the original for, like, proper Disney magic. Again, like I said, with Lion King, if you've only seen the remake, like, for goodness sake, look at watch the original, please. Mm. That, that is it, Dumbo and uh, Fantasia and the Lion King are really are Disney at their classic Disney at their best. And uh, well, Loz, what have you got to say? I, I could go on about this film forever because I love it so <laughs> much. It's got such nostalgic value. And yeah, like I say, even having watched it last year, it had such more an impact on me than I thought it would. I was almost worried actually that watching it after a little period of time where I'd started to forget how it unfolded, it would it would go down in my estimations and would be all, all but banished as just like something from my past, you know, something I liked mm. for a period of time. But no, watching it last year, there were two, two elements to it. One was the, the nostalgia. And like I say, it's just little fleeting pieces of music there's there's a choir that are involved in in some of the soundtracks of this and just hearing that and the, and the shots of a train conjured like i said this amazing feeling of nostalgia and with it comfort and refuge you know it brought me back to a time where things were simpler you know and i could just sit in front of <laughs> i could sit in front of this twice a day if i wanted to and i didn't care what my parents thought about it uh, but then no it, it struck me again you know in a new light as just how wonderful a story this is we, we talked about Disney post-turn uh, of the millennium, and there's no need for us to do that again here. This is 60 years or 59 prior to that turn of the millennium. And this is everything I think is, is to be truly celebrated about what Disney have done. Well, I mean, it, you know, without me being a parent, it, it is something that I've always thought that really, with the original set of animated films, I would say the classics. I, I know you're a fan of the Aristocrats. I'm, I must say, I, I never actually got to see that film. Uh, I'd never seen Fantasia either, just whilst we're, we're talking about not for Disney films. I'm not seeing it. It's getting, getting ridiculous, Lars, isn't it? 
but I have seen Dumbo. Okay. And, and the original. The, the, yes, the original. Yeah, and uh, of of the the set of what I consider the the, the classic Disney animated films, actually, uh, as much as I I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, that, that is the beautiful thing is is that we have uh, different opinions. It didn't make much impact on me as a kid. I was I was far more into the Jungle Book that really had uh, 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 you know I, I really vividly remember watching that and loving it and the uh, Robin Hood where the Robin Hoods are played played as a fox and they're they're all different animals um, that that was yeah. great I, I love that one and obviously the Lion King when it first came out um, bless his heart I remember my dad getting me a copy of the Lion King um, for Christmas and I was really excited about it and he'd got it off his mate, like who'd made a dodgy copy, and um, you know it was it was almost unwatchable. And I I just have such a, a, a you know one of one of those few thankfully Christmas memories where I was so excited about something and then it just came like watchable, but it was not what it was supposed to be. And the look yeah. on my mum's face, looking at dad, is just like you prat. You know, <laughs> yeah, but, it wasn't watchable from the for, for, it. It wasn't for the sake of a few quid, you know, you could have got the proper version, but no. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the Tim Burton remake was, I think, one of the first things I actually put on Blu-ray because often it's animations that really come out in Blu-ray because of the colour and things like that. And I think I, I hadn't seen the film when I bought it. And this is back when, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what the average Blu-ray costs nowadays. I mean, funny enough, I'm looking back at my VHS collection was, and you mentioned things like the Aristocats. Some of these things have still got the label on, and these were like £12.99. Yeah, yeah. And like back in, that was a lot back then. It was certainly a lot more than it would have been today. <clears throat> sort of. No, but I mean, when, when you when you factor inflation into things, you know. I, yeah, I, think I mean, they, they sell for more than £12.99 now for kitsch collector value. Yeah, but, yeah. But I don't know what I paid for the Blu-ray of Dumbo. Maybe about eight quid, something like that. And it, it it took me pleasantly by surprise. It was um, it was good. You know, I, I looked at it and I thought Tim Burton, Danny DeVito. Well, I enjoy their respective work down the years. Please don't, you know, please don't let Dumbo be the the start of a, a, a hatred for both of them. Mm. And it wasn't. It wasn't at all. Good, good. Because I, I, especially the, the the modern version. I'd heard. Uh, I think it was Mark Kermode talk about how it was it was fairly bland and uninspired and. Just yet, yet another one of these cash grab Disney films to exploit your childhood sort of thing. Well, but it they, is, it is in many ways, but I, I quite enjoyed it. I guess I can't really put it more purely than that. I, yeah, I yeah, quite, exactly. I quite, and maybe it's because um, a theme park was involved that I, <laughs> yeah, they, they decided to bring a theme park into it, and I thought, oh, Tim Burton slash theme park slash sort of Blu-ray. Um, I, I mean, this only came out a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, they, they went the right way for you then, definitely. I, I can't disagree with Mark Kermode there. And there's something coming up later on where I very much agree with, with Mark Kermode. And um, if you're listening, Mark, um, keep listening because it's, it'll be worth it. I, I hope he is listening. <laughs> I doubt it, but I hope he is. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry to uh, sort of almost uh, piddle on your parade, but... Yeah, I, I, I liked it fine. Uh, but yeah, it, it never really obviously touched me in the way that, that it did with you. I think, like I say, twofold. There was the original sentiment of, of what it meant to me back back in the day. And, mm. and so, of course, that still carries through to today if I watch it. But then I do genuinely think as a story and 
as a philosophy on life. There are a lot of important things said in this film, which Disney have done, you know, time and time again. Sure, we talked about oh, yeah, yeah. repetition and, and things like that. And, and they've done it sufficiently differently many times, you know, reprising similar themes. And I think this was one of the, if not even the first, where these kind of things were touched upon. And clearly I had something about me as a, as a kid to just latch on to, probably not that so much, but just like I say, the imagery, you know, the, the power in this film lies in its imagery. There's not mm. so much dialogue in this. It's quite short I mean, it's an hour. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I've got nothing else to say other than go and watch it again. No matter how many times you've seen it, go and watch it again, the original. And it's my favorite Disney film. Mm. There you go. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all certainly of, of a, a very high quality, even, even if I wouldn't perhaps admit them into the annals of my top 10. They're, all of them, pretty much to a man, are uh, certainly at, at worst worth a watch. Very good quality animation and, and, and you, know, you, you know, all the music that goes into it. It's, they're Disney for a, a reason, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so there, there we go. And that's I suppose that concludes... Uh, seven and six and uh, it's kind of transpired how i thought it might was this this has been a typical hour podcast i think the looks of it, and we've covered two each <laughs> an, so, an hour of hours eh yeah so let's do the same again for five and four because we're now into the top five um oh. so uh, and trust me Lars, i'm looking at my five and four and i've got a lot to say about them maybe even more so than the top three in some ways mm. so yeah this is definitely a good opportune moment to break shall we quickly cover what we've covered in the in the, the sort of the the top half of the top 10 each okay yeah sure so i, I may, i've obviously made a little note of these as we've gone so for Lars, we've got uh, in 10th place silence of the lambs followed by the dark knight in number nine pulp fiction at number eight inglorious bastards at number seven and jurassic park at number six indeed uh, a very different set of five for me love actually <laughs> love actually at number 10 the cable guy at number nine Pink Floyd's The Wall in number eight, Memento number seven, and Dumbo, which we've just discussed in number six. So you do not want to go anywhere for these top five. You really don't. We're, we're just getting that. started here. And Lars, you obviously don't want to go anywhere. Because um, no. I, I don't know what you're expecting of my top five. I feel like you probably know a couple of things that might be in there. I feel like I have a couple of ideas of what might be in yours. But again, I, I've not deliberately not thought ahead. So let's conclude here and keep it within the kind of the typical format that we've been doing we'll go for a quick break and then we'll resume to do what are we on now episode number seven is it for episode number six <laughs> that'll be episode seven won't it yeah I think. wow and anyway I mean, yeah we'll be, well, we'll be we getting go. into the top five that's more important the episode number doesn't matter to to no man <laughs> we'll be getting into the top five films and we'll Speak do number up. five then we'll do number five and number four which oh i can't wait to discuss number five and number four okay let's go <laughs> let's go let's get going let's stop this right. now and get into that okay so, okay. thank you so much for listening as always and um, uh, like and subscribe and all that jazz I don't, I don't want to be <laughs> Ring that the guy bell. yeah I don't want to be the guy that says those things but I am saying them you know, here, here it, we are thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon hopefully alright see you people bye chip, 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 chip. Chip.